The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Good morning, Summit Church. I'm so glad that you're here today. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been here for years, uh, we're in a very special season. We are seven days into 21 days of prayer, culminating on Easter Sunday. And uh, I'm believing that God is hearing our prayers, that he's moving within our midst. And, And I'm believing that God desperately desires for us to long for more of him. That's, that's the goal of this. We would love to see revival. We would love to see amazing things happen. But at the end of the day, if after 21 days of prayer, every person who engaged just simply said, I got a lot of God and I want a lot more, that that would be a huge win for us and for this. But what I want to do today is address something that many of you might be feeling but you don't really want to publicize. And that is that after seven days of trying to pray, you're kind of done with it. It's not that you don't want to be a part of the church. It's not that you don't believe that prayer is good, but, but you tried and there seems to be some obstacles. There seems to be some things standing in the way of you being able to engage in the daily devotionals and engage in, in prayer. And, and you're wondering, what's wrong with me? And I just want you to know there's, there's nothing really wrong. It's actually quite normal. There are many, many obstacles, I think, that hinder our prayer. I want to highlight three of them today in hopes of maybe pinpointing for you some, some troubles, some areas where you can address and see that, oh yeah, that actually is what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing with the hopes then that you will push through that you will persevere, that you will continue on and that you will finish the 21 days and that will be a springboard into many, many years of seeking the Lord in prayer. So that's what we're trying to do, okay? And so just three obstacles I think are normal. They think are apparent in many people's lives when they try to really pray. And the first one is this. I tried to pray. I really did it but I just don't understand God's logic. I don't understand what he's doing and what he's thinking. I'm praying, doesn't seem to be working. I don't understand his mind. I wanna go to Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. I'm gonna read them very quickly, but then we'll go back and break them down just a verse at a time. So Romans 11, 33 through 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths, they're beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should have to repay him? For from him and through him, And for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That might be one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 
but it tells us a lot about the mind of God. It tells us a lot about how we are to interact with God. And within prayer, if you've tried and there seems to be a roadblock or an obstacle, one of them may be that you just don't understand the mind of God. You don't understand why he's doing what he's doing or not doing what you need him to do. And, and this helps me understand the why. Verse 33 just simply lets us know that God knows everything and we don't. God knows everything and we don't. Paul starts off by saying, oh, the depth of the knowledge that God has. Very seldom does Paul use such demonstrative language, but oh, I mean, you can hear it. God is so wise. His knowledge is infinite. How unsearchable are his judgments. His paths are without tracing. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you try to figure out, God, I asked for this and you did this. A and B do not connect. What are you doing? And 20 years later, you look back and go, that was brilliant. I would have never thought that by you doing this, it would ultimately get me here. It, Paul's saying his ways are just untraceable to our minds because we can't think the way that he thinks. We, we don't have the ability or the knowledge to do so, but he does. His ways are untraceable. His logic is not capable for us to understand. And one of the main reasons is the huge advantage that he has he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the day after that. We don't get that information. We're not privy to that because he wants us to live for today by faith. So he knows and we don't and that knowledge is valuable and it's his alone. But it's frustrating when you're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing right now? What are you thinking right now? And oftentimes when we can't then comprehend how God is thinking, it makes us cease to pray. Verse 34 says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Now, I don't want to step on any toes here, okay? There are licensed counselors within our church, amazing people who help others walk through circumstances, okay? And I, and I don't want to step on toes, but... Um, at some point, most counselors, they do a whole lot more than this, but they're going to help a person understand that their thinking may be a little flawed and give them a new way of thinking. How often do we unknowingly or knowingly want to be God's counselor? Hey, God, I know you're God, but the way you're thinking about this obviously isn't right. So let's just change your thinking to fit my thinking. And we want to be God's counselor. We want to tell him where he's falling short. And Paul just simply asked the rhetorical question, who gets to be God's counselor? And anytime in scripture, when Paul asks a rhetorical question like that, the answer is no or no one. Sorry, church. It doesn't fly that way. We don't get to go correct God's behavior. We don't get to change the way he thinks. And the main reason being, we don't understand how he thinks in the first place. Verse 35 is a big one. Who has ever given to God that God should have to repay them? I know for me, I know for many of us, it's like, hey, I've been team Jesus for 30 years. When I throw up a prayer, God, you kind of owe it to me to answer. I've been serving in ministry for 20 years. Lord, uh, I kind of need, need one here. You owe me. 
Paul once again asks the rhetorical, who has done so much for God that God is in his debt? And the answer is no one, but let's be honest. Many of us get incredibly frustrated because we feel exactly that way. God, you owed me. I've been walking with you for a long time and the one time I needed you to come through and you didn't and now we have a problem. You owed me. In verse 36, verse 36 creates a theology, a way of seeing God that I think is imperative for anyone who's going to pray. And it simply says this, that while God will work for your good, at the end of the day, he will always glorify himself. That is the trump card. We have the promise that what God is going to do for us will be good, but the good may be for his glory. And you may not agree with it because maybe you can't see it or maybe you feel like he owed you, but at the end of the day, all things are for him. All things are for him and for his glory forever and ever, amen. And while many of us do not want to believe that, when we understand that, it allows for great contentment in our prayers. I can be content with how God moved or didn't move in this because I know at the end of the day, he was simply doing what most glorified himself. And I can trust in that and I can believe in that and I can rely that I don't have all the facts and I can't see the future like he can, but he does and he will and he works for his glory first and foremost. And I know we don't love to hear that, but if you can write this point down, for those struggling to pray this first seven days. Prayer is about wanting more of God, not just getting what you want. Prayer, we say it unlocks the power of God. And it does. But in its purest form, it's about you and I communing with God. We pray not to get what we want, but because we want more of God. And in these seven days, and maybe you're already done, I, I implore you to try another seven with a new way of thinking. I'm just spending time with God. He may not give me everything I ask for. He may not give me everything I want, but I am communing with the Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And that's good enough for me. If at the end of the day, I don't get any of this checklist, but I get God, that's a win. We need that mentality to be content in our prayers. And I'm not saying it's easy to get. I miss it on many occasions. But it's how we must enter into prayer. So the first obstacle, I tried to pray, I don't understand God's mind. The second obstacle, I don't feel like praying because God and I are not on good terms right now. I just simply don't want to pray because me and God got a problem. I, we've been preaching here for nine years and so I'm running out of stories. So if you've heard this one, I apologize. But after my mom passed away, there was a season of four to five months where I couldn't pray. I didn't want to pray. 
because going back to some of the stuff from the first point, I felt like God kind of owed me. You know, been in ministry, been actively praying daily, been, been seeing fruit, like every, and then all of a sudden my mom dies and I'm like, whoa, hey, you, you messed up. And I'm not okay with that. And really when it comes down to it, there's one of two reasons why someone would be not okay with God and not wanting to pray. Number one is that they feel too far from God or too sinful and God that doesn't want them. There's some of you in the room like that. You're like, me and God aren't okay because of what I've done. And then there's others in the room who were like I was that me and God aren't okay because of what I think he did or didn't do. And it creates this barrier, it creates this wall, an obstacle. And I am so thankful for my wife who after seeing me for months pray daily, sitting at our kitchen table, my mom dies. Of course she gives some time, but then it'd been four, five, six months since I'd been back to that kitchen table. She walked over and in love one morning said, Todd, get up and go to the table, go pray. I was like, girl, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you can pull the my mom died card so many times and there's no fight back for that. And I remember feeling that going, just bet you back off. And I didn't, I didn't go that first day. But it was a few days later that I did. That I stepped into that challenge. And the God I didn't want to pray to met me right there in my hurt and frustration, my anger and my anguish. And there was a peace and a comfort and a power that I so desperately missed. And I had missed it because I was mad. James gives us a little bit of encouragement in chapter four, verses seven and eight. He says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God or draw near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you're a sinner, and purify your hearts because you're double-minded. It's a challenge, if you will, Submit yourself to God and then draw near to him. You take the step. You move so that he will then come the rest of the distance. Now, looking at verse seven, I want you to know that Satan is cunning and he's wise and he's out to destroy you. And he will cause you to believe one of those two lies that one, you're too sinful for God to ever love or come near, so you better not pray. Or he'll say, you know what? God should have come through for you. God should have done that and you shouldn't love him anymore and you definitely shouldn't pray to him because he is not all good and he's not all powerful. And if you are believing those lies, flee from that trap. It is not true. I sat in it for a long time. I've dabbled with it since then. Before then, Satan is good at putting that junk in our heads. Making us believe that God isn't good enough or you're not good enough. Both are lies. 
And James says, denounce that, flee from that lie and then draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, I know a lot of people are like, why in the world would God make me take the first step? He's not. He took the first step. He sent his son from a perfect place in heaven to this earth. That was step one. We're actually step two. We draw then towards him because he's incarnate. He's here. He loves us. He's proven that. We draw near to him. And then the amazing thing about the grace of God is he closes the rest of that distance. He didn't make us take the first step. He took the first step. Many times we don't want to pray because we feel so far from God. Church, if that's you, then today, take a step. Take a step. May I channel my beautiful wife in her words, get up and get to the table. Take a step and pray. It will take faith And you may not hear many preachers say this. It will actually feel very weird, very awkward, very forced. Like when you run into that person you didn't want to see. It'll feel that way for about a moment until God closes the rest of that gap and does something in your heart and in your mind and in your life that you can never do for yourself and you could never do apart from him. So some of us don't pray because we tried and we don't understand God's logic. It's crazy. Some of us are not praying because we don't feel like we're on good terms with God for one reason or another. The last one, and I'll do this quickly, is that a lot of us don't pray because we feel like there's something in the way. There's a, there's a roadblock. We, it, it, this, is, this is the best way I can describe it. I pray it hits the ceiling and then it never comes back. It never goes anywhere else. I'm, I'm just talking and it's not getting to God. Well, Ezekiel chapter 14, I'm not gonna read it, but it talks about this. It talks about why you feel that way. In Ezekiel chapter 14, God is explaining that when one of my children come to me and they have a request to make before me, but they have an idol or sin in their heart, what I'm going to do because I love them and want them to repent from that sin is I'm going to just talk to them about that idol, about that desire that's become non-negotiable or about that sin that they're unwilling to confess and repent from. I'm going to talk to them about that because I want their hearts. And I'm going to talk to them about that and they're not going to like that. So after a while, they're going to stop praying to me. And maybe that's you. Because you're sitting here with a desire in your heart to, for success or comfort or whatever it might be, whatever idol might be in your heart, or you're sitting here with unrepentant sin that you're going, I want God, but I also still want this sin. And you're like, I tried to pray, but you know, it just didn't feel like I was connecting. Let me tell you, you were connecting. But God just started talking back to you about things you didn't want to talk to. You wanted help with this, and he's like, I want your heart. And right now I don't have it. You can't connect because there's a roadblock. Remember James 4, 8 says, come near to me or come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you're like, Todd, that's exactly opposite what you just said. You said that even if I feel far from God because I'm a sinner, that he'll accept me. That double-minded part, that's the big, that's the key. He's talking about the person that wants both. 
wants all of God and all of this world. And James' response to that person is, you can't have both because God and sin can't coexist. Oh, great, Todd. So, so now you're telling me that I have to be sinless in order to pray. No, no, God never said that. But he says that he wants you to address your sin and be aware of your sin and purify yourself from that sin and confess that sin and repent from that sin. And you're like, that's a lot of stuff. What in the world does that mean? James chapter five, verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other first and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Acknowledge the roadblock. Do I have to confess it to someone else? It's powerful if you do, but no, you can confess it to God. But if you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling, if you're trying earnestly to do so, then I want you to take a good hard look at your life and ask yourself, is there something else that I have made God? Is there a sin that I am unwilling to give up right now, yet I still want all of God? Is there an idol that I'm unwilling to give up right now, but yet I still want God? I still claim that I love God with all my heart, but the truth is you don't. Because there's something that's equal or greater to God. This is some hard stuff, right? I mean, I understand that what I'm giving you is not fun, but we're talking about obstacles in prayer. We're talking about hindrances that many of us feel that do not allow us to pray. We're talking about for seven days I've been asked to pray and I can't. Why? It's probably because of one of these three things. There might be something else. It really might be. But God never demanded us to be sinless or perfect to pray. He just asks us to acknowledge our sins so that we might be forgiven. God never asked us to perfectly understand his mind or his will. He asked us to trust that he works for our good and for his glory. That's not this crazy, crazy idea. God never asked us to run all the way to him if we feel distance. He said, just draw nearer and I'll draw near to you. As the band comes back up and as we conclude today, maybe this 21 days of prayer, you're like, this, that seemed really easy, but it wasn't. I, I want you to hear this. Prayer actually is easy, but not when there's these massive obstacles standing in your way. And, and I hear it's very rare that I'll give a message and pray that it, it is not for anyone in the room. But I pray that this message is just like not hitting any of you because you're not feeling this obstacle. But something tells me that many of you are and we need to have this conversation. I need you to look at this and to address it. And, and regardless of what it is, not understanding God's logic, the, the distance, the sin, or the idol that you might have, I want so much more for our church. 
So I beg you, I plead with you to address this. Address the issues that you're feeling and start to pray. It's not a demand or a threat. It's an appeal. It's a plea. Sometimes we got to look into areas of our life we don't want to talk about or think about, but the plea today is that you will, not so that you'll be perfect, not so that you'll be better, but so that you might have more of God, so that we might have more of him, so that we might see his power unleashed in our church and in our communities. So today, wherever you're at, We have communion for you to take to remember who Jesus is and the fact that he really did take the first step, that he really did bridge the gap, that he has taken care of the sin that might be in the way. He's forgiven that, that he is worthy of glory. You can take communion. Remember that we're gonna have a prayer team in the room that would love to pray with you, that would love to talk with you, that would love to help you identify some of these obstacles. And maybe, just maybe, if that bold step of faith of you stepping out and coming to a prayer team member, maybe by doing that, that is you taking that step towards God and he'll just clear the rest of that space and do something in your life you never expected today walking in the door. But we want more of God. And I want that for you. And so today, that's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that we will pray. And then in doing so, we'll get more of him. So Father, hear our broken prayers. See our need for more of you. And come invade our lives in this space in a way that we can see and feel you. Come and forgive our sin Allow us to lay down and repent from our idols. Bridge any gap or distance. Lord, allow those who feel hurt by you to express that and and for you to come and begin to mend their heart because we want and need more of you, God. So come and move mightily in our midst. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.